0: It's this game where you've got a, a box essentially filled with often stuffed animals or other prizes. And then there's a, a claw and a joystick. And I know that most of you know how this game works. But you use the joystick to move the claw over the stuffed animal or the prize that you're, you're wanting. You let that claw fall down. And hopefully it grabs the thing you're hoping for, and not just that it grabs it, but that it actually holds on to it. And for those of you who have done this game before, you know that that claw, (laughs) it's not very strong, and very rarely does it actually hold on to the thing that you were hoping for. I remember as a kid waiting for my mom to check out of the line in the grocery store and it's I'd, go, I'd go over to one of these and kind of look through the plexiglass at all the stuffed animals and the prizes and kind of sort of scheming in my brain which one I wanted and which one the claw could reach and how if I had a chance I'd you know, drop the claw. And Once in a very great while, like maybe once or twice in my whole childhood, my mom gave me the 50 cents or a, a dollar to actually do this. And guess how many times I, I won this game? Zero. Never. Not at all. Not even once. I was I was wondering in a, a room filled with people this big, this this many people. Any of you ever win this game? Get a prize out of it? Laura did. A few others. Okay. I knew there'd be I knew there'd be a few. But I'm also guessing I'm also guessing you you probably lost more than you've won. And the truth is that it can be disappointing when you try for something, when you want something, and you don't get it. In fact, this game was so disappointing to me that uh, nowadays when I see it at Cub as I walk out, I don't even look at the prizes anymore. I'm like, (laughs) it's not even a chance. uh, That that also might have something to do with me being in my 40s and I don't need stuffed animals anymore either. But the thing is... um, when, when something doesn't seem to work, we, we stop trying. Um, say it this way. If we think something doesn't work, we eventually stop trying. And, and that might be a good thing with the, the claw game. It might be a good financial decision just to stop trying. But where I'm going with this is something where that's not really a good thing. Here's where we're going. A lot of people give up on prayer because they think it doesn't work. You see, for a lot of people, maybe this is you, and and maybe, maybe it's just because you've never been taught about a fuller picture of prayer. Many people tend to view prayer primarily as, well, a way, a way to get things from God. In fact, for many people, and again, maybe this is you, and sometimes in my life, I will have to say and admit that it's been me. In fact, for many people, sometimes the only time we pray is when we need some sort of divine intervention because we know that we can't do it on our own. And so it goes like this. You want to get into that school, and you know there are a lot of people that are trying to get in. And so we pray, Lord, Please help me get into that school. You, you, you want the job, but you're not sure your resume is quite up to snuff. Lord, please help me. You want that girl to say yes. Oh, please say yes. Lord, help me. You hope the Vikings win the playoff game. I know there's a lot of prayers about that around here, Right? Or maybe on a more serious note, but a real one, you're, you're praying for the health of a loved one. Or maybe it's countless prayers for your own health. We pray often when we're asking God for things. And the reality is, is that so often, or many times, when we pray well We don't always get what we're asking for. And sometimes, sometimes that can be disappointing. It feels like we're putting the dollar into the claw game, expecting something to come out. We put our prayer in, hoping and expecting God to do something. Now, Here's the reality of prayer. First of all, God does invite you to share what's on your heart and to ask him for things. That is a wonderful part of prayer. God wants you to ask for the things on your heart. Now, here's the other interesting part when it comes to to prayer because we don't always have our prayers answered the way we want. When when Jesus was talking about prayer, when he was teaching about it on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he also shared this interesting thing. He said in Matthew 6, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Wait, what? So so I don't need to advise God about prayer. I don't always get what I'm asking for. And he already knows what I need. A very good question to ask ourselves is this one. So then why pray? If I don't always get what I'm asking for? If he doesn't need me to advise him because he already knows what I need, why pray? I got a question for you. What if? What if prayer and God's intention for it was much more than just getting what you want? What if, in an illustration here, what if prayer was like a house and the asking for things part is just the garage and yet there's this entire other mansion to explore and to appreciate and to enjoy and the garage, it's just one little part. If that was true about prayer, you know what? I wish I would have known that sooner because it could and still does have the power to change our perspective and God willing, our use of this amazing blessing that God has given us called prayer. So this leads us to our first fill-in for today. It's this, that the purpose of prayer is much more than just asking for things. So we are in the seventh and final part of this series where we've been going through the letter of 1 Timothy. Again, it is a letter that Pastor Paul in probably the 60s AD or so was writing to a young pastor student named Timothy and also to the congregation in Ephesus that Timothy was kind of in charge of pastoring. And today we're going to go back to a section where, uh, in chapter 2, that we skipped over earlier, and the, the immediate context of this section actually is not prayer. The immediate context, if you read it on your own at home, the entire chapter, is all about worship. Paul is directing Timothy about some directions to consider and to think about when God's people would gather like we are today for worship. And in chapter two, verse one, it starts off this way. Paul writes, I urge then, first of all, that. And he's going to follow with some directions about what um, worship should look like. And first of all, was not just a random, like I've got five things and I'm just going to, to number them. Uh, in the Greek, first of all, there was a significance behind this. This was like the, the most important thing. I'm going to tell you some things about worship, but this is the most important thing. Now, 2,000 years later, I wonder if you had to guess how Paul would finish that sentence, what you would think, how he, what would he talk about? If if I listen to all the conversations that modern-day Christians have about worship, you would think it'd have something to do with musical style, screens or no screens, hymnals or no hymnals, coffee or not coffee, you know, all these things. But as you can guess, that's not what Paul directs people to. Listen to what he says. I, I urge then, first of all, when it comes to worship, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, if you're taking notes in your Bible or on your sermon note sheet, there's four words here. They're all considering prayer, but they have, each one has a little bit of a different significance to them. So petitions, those would be requests that people have for God. Prayers, that Greek word was the most general word for prayer and just has the the idea of we are honoring God by talking to him in prayer. Intercession, that was a Greek word that uh, designates uh, speaking on behalf or for someone else. You're intercessing for them. And then Thanksgiving, I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. But it's interesting. Paul here talks about the importance of prayer. But it's not in the general context of how do I change God's mind? How do I direct God to do what I'm hoping? You imagine a lot of us when we pray, we think that the God of the universe needs our advice. Like he doesn't quite know what he should do in this situation and Lord, you know, listen to me. I I know what you should do. We sometimes treat God like a a cosmic claw game, right? We put the dollar in, hope we get what we're hoping for. And once again, as I mentioned before, that is a part of prayer to, to ask God. You can ask him for anything. He invites you to do that. But the context that Paul writes about prayer here is so significant, and it has the power to change your mind and your attitude towards talking to him. It is, as I mentioned, in the context of worship. So um, what is worship? Here's maybe a simple definition. It's giving God the honor and glory that he deserves. Instead of thinking of God in prayer as someone just to get stuff from? What if, like Paul directs, we consider every time we get a chance to pray as an opportunity to worship, that it's an opportunity to have an audience with the God of the universe, our second fill-in. We pray because we need God and he is worthy of our worship. You imagine, and this is reality, that the God who created all things, the omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful creator, invites you to talk to him, invites you to have an audience with him, wants you to spend time with him. Can you imagine? And all we have to do is think and talk with him, and he's there, and he listens. That's at your disposal any moment of the day, any difficulty that you're in. In prayer, we have an audience with the God of the universe, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And you know, when we recognize that the God we pray to is in charge of all things, one of the things that prayer should lead us towards is this word, surrender. Surrender is an interesting word. Um, Your comfortability with surrendering to something or someone has everything to do with who that person is. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Uh, any of you ever um, have an opportunity to help teach your 15-year-old how to drive? I think a lot of us have. Some of us, that's going to be coming someday. Let me just tell you, there is nothing like Sitting in the passenger seat with a 15 year old as you're heading towards I 35 and they're heading 65 miles per hour for the very first time, and there's traffic that they need to merge into. And I'll tell you, that is one of the most uncomfortable things I have ever done that very first time. I'm holding on to the side of the car door, if they have a grab, I'm holding on to that. I, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not surrendering. Because I have my life in the hands of my 15-year-old who's never driven on an interstate before. (laughs) So, I have a question for you. Who's your driver? How do you consider God? Is he a 15-year-old that you have to help direct? Because if you don't, he's not going to know what to do. Do you have to go through life white-knuckling it because, well, God needs my help and advice and prayers, direction? Or do you pray to the God of the universe who sees the road ahead, who's been there before, who knows all things and has all power, (laughs) and When you surrender to a good driver, you know what you can do while you're traveling? Literally, in a car? Sleep. And you just trust. He's got that. I know that driver's got that. See, surrendering can be one of the most freeing, peace giving, joy-filled things you could ever do, to think that you don't need to carry the weight of the future on your shoulders because you have a great driver who's directing things and who's guiding things. And so guess what? When it comes to prayer, I'd like you to think about it this way. Prayer is an opportunity as you consider who you're praying to, that he's the God of the universe, to not impose your will, but to surrender it. And that's why when Jesus taught us to pray, one of the phrases that he wants us to to lean into and to remember with every prayer is this, thy will be done. Lord, here's what I'm thinking, but you're the driver, you know what's best, thy will be done. Lord, here's how I'm feeling. Here's my fears. Here are my worries. I'm just putting it out there, Lord God of the universe. But thy will be done. I trust you. And Lord, I want you to align my desires with your will. Now, uh, one of the pastors and authors that I I quote quite a bit uh, over the years is a pastor named Tim Keller. And for those of you who know Tim Keller, uh, actually the Lord called him home to heaven just about a week ago. Um, But a few years ago, he wrote a a book on prayer. And uh, one of the quotes really stood out to me in this realm and just gave me a different way to think about how God answers prayer. He wrote in his book on prayer, That God will give, either give us what we ask for, or He will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything He knows. You're the driver, Lord. You know way more than I do. Here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm feeling, but I surrender. Thy will be done, and the fear. And the worry and the white knuckling, can you feel it? It begins to dissipate and go away. Paul's not done. He continues in verse 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings... And for all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And when I, I read this verse, when I studied it, especially that, that yellow part, I'm like, whoa. My impression, because I, I don't hear all your prayers, but my impre- I don't hear any of your prayers unless we're together here. Um, my impression is that American Christians don't do this very well. You know what we do? Very well. We complain well. We gossip well. We post well. We get angry well. And as I was reading, as I was studying this, here's what I thought when's the last time I prayed for the president? When's the last time that I I prayed for my senators or for the mayor? And I'm not just saying, praying, Lord, uh, I'm going to pray that they change their policies. Well, that's part of it. But notice the preposition that Paul uses is to pray for them. When when have we prayed for their health or for their safety? Or how about this? For the courage, because that's what it takes, to do what's right or good, even when it's hard. And yes, we can also pray that our leaders would come if they don't already to know Jesus as their Savior and that their faith would direct their policies, I think that's a great prayer. But there's more there. And just in case you're thinking, well, yeah, Paul, he doesn't understand what we have to put up with in America. Just remember who the king was when Paul wrote to Timothy. His name was Nero. Nero. He was murdering Christians, blood of Christians being spilled all around the Roman Empire. And when Paul writes to Timothy about prayer, he says, pray for kings and those in authority. Continues in verse 3. You see, this is good. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And I don't know that this actually was happening as Paul was writing. Uh, but it's interesting to me, like maybe Paul was writing, "You will pray for kings and all those in authority, and he knows that there might be some eyebrows raised about that. And so he continues, oh, and, and by the way, just in case you were thinking that this isn't good direction or advice, I just want you to know this is not just me speaking. This is good and pleases God our Savior <laughs> to pray for all people. And notice he wants all to be saved. That's the heart of your God. He is the creator of all people. And it hurts him when people reject him. His, his heart aches for those that don't know him and don't know his son as their Lord and Savior. It's interesting to think about how um, quickly we get frustrated with people, how, how easily we don't have patience with people. We just ignore them if they don't agree with us, or we, the, the word that's in vogue nowadays is we cancel them, and that can happen. And I, I'm wondering, as, as I think about my own interaction and lack of patience with people, what would happen if God had as little patience as we have? We'd all be canceled. There would have been no Savior. A long time ago, He would have given up on us. But your God, the God we get to pray to, He not only is the King of the universe, but He loves you. And He wants all to be saved. And how does that work? How does that happen? Our last couple verses For there is one God, and there's also one mediator a go-between, between God and mankind. It's the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. You and I, we should marvel at the idea that a holy God would have an audience with a sinful person like me and with you. How does that work? Well, the only answer is, and you hear us talk, say this a lot at North Cross because it's true in so many different ways, Jesus changes everything. In fact, so as to give you an understanding of the beauty and the privilege of prayer, I want to take you back once to the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, uh, in the temple, there was this place called the Holy of Holies, and then outside of that was called uh, the Holy Place. And between the holy place, which you see in the picture is where these, uh, these men are standing, there was a big curtain that separated them from the holy of holies. This curtain looks huge, and that's because it was. It was around 60 feet tall, about 30 feet wide, about four inches thick. It took 100 priests to hang it. And this curtain was there to to separate God's people from the the very special presence of God in the Holy of Holies. You see, the truth is that sin, which I have, which you have, it separates us from a relationship or from being in the presence of God. But here's the most amazing thing that, that happened. It was like God giving us an object lesson to always go back to. What happened when Jesus breathed his last breath and died in our place on the cross? There's a lot of things that happened. But one of the things that happened in the temple was that this curtain ripped apart. And the significance of that should never be lost. It was God showing us that the sacrifice of all sacrifices the, the forgiveness that we needed, that that punishment was satisfied through the death of God's perfect son. And now guess what? Open curtain. We have access to a holy God. Without Jesus, there would be no prayers heard. Without Jesus, we would not have access to our heavenly father. In fact, the, the writer to the Hebrews puts it this way. Therefore, brothers, Since now we have confidence to enter the most holy place. And he's not talking about the literal room, he's talking about the presence of God in our minds, in our hearts, a very real presence with God. We enter it by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest, he's talking about Jesus over the house of God, since all these things are true, then, since you've got this doorway open to the God of the universe, let us not neglect it. Let us not just use it to just ask for things. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. So our, our, our fourth fill-in for today is this, that Jesus is the reason we can pray to God. You'll notice around here, and maybe this is true in your own life, that almost every prayer we pray, and this isn't something that has to be said, but, but it just is a good part of prayer, that almost every prayer we pray ends in what way? In Jesus' name we pray. It's going back, it's reminding our hearts and our, our 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 minds that Jesus is the reason why we get to have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that Jesus is the reason that when Jesus taught about prayer, he did not say, here's how I want you to start it. Oh, eternal, omniscient, almighty God, who has his life in our hands and whom we're afraid of. Although he is omniscient and almighty and all those things, But Jesus said, when you approach God, you can call him father. Not um, crabby fathers. You've never had one of those before, have you? Not unloving dad, but a perfect father who never gets it wrong. I like how one pastor said, he said that um, God is not the reflection of your earthly father. He is the perfection of your earthly father. And every time we pray, it's like the God of the universe is saying, hey, come up on my lap, talk with me. I love you. I care about what you're feeling. And I'm gonna do what's best for you. Tim Keller put it this way. To pray in Jesus' name is essentially to reground our relationship with God in the saving work of Jesus over and over again. It also means to recognize your status as a child of God, regardless of your inner state. So maybe you don't know any other way to pray than asking God for things. And so I, I wanted just to end with some very specific application that you can take home with you. And I'm sure some of you have, have heard this before, but it's a good reminder. When it comes to praying, a good like word to remember would be the word ACTS. And it reminds us of four different prayers that are important. And I, I like to think of them in sequential order, but it, you could pray them in whatever order you want. The first A, A is there is adoration. That's what we did most of the time in our message today. We were reminding ourselves of how good and great and amazing God is. And if you're not sure how to verbally adore God in your prayer, I'd have you write down Psalm 103. Psalm 103. It'd be a great psalm to read through as you adore God and just praise him for who he is. The C is confession. It's a recognition that we need Jesus. And Lord, as we talked about earlier in the service, as I come to you, I want to be open and honest. And I'm going to bring everything to you. My wants, my desires, and also my sins. I'm going to lay them at your feet to know that Jesus has paid for them. The T stands for thanksgiving, spending time, and get specific. What are the things that you're thankful for? Maybe you go back to your baptism and be reminded of what he declares about you on that day, that you are his child, and that means that you have a father, you have heaven an inheritance, and you have his protection. Thanksgiving, and then S stands for supplication, which that's probably the hardest word to understand. It's kind of a churchy word that means ask for things. Bring to him your requests. Tell him how you're feeling. Ask him to get that job, and then trust his will. Ask him to guide the girl to say yes, and then trust his will. You see, um, so often, oftentimes accidentally, we've reduced prayer to a cosmic claw game where we put in the prayer and hope we get what we're wanting. Prayer is so much more than that. In fact, it is a vital part of worship. And I pray I pray that you use this gift that God has given. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Savior, um, you are an awesome God. And so often, Lord, uh, oftentimes, accidentally, we find ourselves more directing you in our prayers than we do acknowledging your perfection and your love and that whatever it is, you've got this. You are the perfect driver of life. And I would ask that in our prayer lives that you would lead us to surrender, that you would move us to understand that when it comes to worshiping you, that one of the best places to start is an active and a daily prayer life that re-centers us on what's most important and on who is most important. So I'd ask you to guide our prayer lives and... Help them to grow and to thrive and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Our our last song for today uh, was picked because when we come to God in prayer, um, whatever burdens we bring, whatever it is that we have, as we said at the end, a father who is listening to us and he wants us to come to him. He even wants us to run to him again and again in prayer and in life. Uh, Before we sing, receive the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.